Welcome to Book in a Pint. In this episode, Michael and I are joined by Michael's co-writer, J.M.D. Reed, to talk writing, co-writing, and the important things. Like, what's your favorite Japanese light novel? Welcome to Book and a Pint with me, Michael Evan. And me, James Jenkins. So we're back and uh, we have a little bit of a special episode tonight. Uh, Going to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, for fir- first off, it's really different because we're literally recording the day after we recorded the last episode. So it's kind of weird for me. So we have absolutely nothing fucking new to say. Like no, what's nothing at all. So our little intro is going to be super short. Um, but even, I have... even, even the dude that hates us, like didn't have enough time to yeah, write mail hating us more. No, no, he, he, he was just like, what the fuck? Another one? God damn it. That's exactly how he reacted. Yeah. I'm excited to say, though, uh, we're going to have a special guest. Uh, your co-writer, uh, JMD Reed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, me. well, I mean, I'm 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 actually like really stoked to listen to you guys uh, just talk about your own writing and and shit like world building and stuff like that. James is like really really well. You'll hear when you start talking about about his stuff too. Um, yeah. He's putting out uh, my publishing company is actually putting out a relaunch of um, his very first fantasy series, which is called um the storm below and we're putting out an omnibus five book box set which is just about a million words it's fucking ridiculous yeah and it's what a 15 book series altogether right no no this is a this one's a five book series oh okay i thought it was the fifth book was so long that it would it hit the exact number of words that amazon would allow (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing and he actually needed to shrink um the writing size so if you look at that book compared to the other books smaller like, font it looks like like the way like those old warren P, like the yeah. you know Tolstoy classics look like with the you know really really small font because that was the only way that he would be able to put this thing out that's amazing that's impressive i know where my confusion came from the box set's launching on the 15th and i'm bad with numbers so i uh, will definitely talk to him about that but mark your calendars right. uh, if things go as planned if i can work technology the way i think i can this episode will be live on the same day those books are launching so everyone listening go grab that omnibus be worth yeah, your time sure. you won't regret it it's it's uh it's awesome like it's really really awesome epic fantasy and um i think i know where your confusion uh with the where you said 15 books oh you, you was the date but he actually is writing a 12-book epic fantasy series. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I try to do my research before I bring a guest on, and I went to his Goodreads page, and a lot of them were, like, box sets, but there's yeah. still, like, 38 books on his author page. I think so he's I think he may have just written, if you include the stuff that he's done with me, yeah, uh, somewhere between 38 and 42 books. And and that's all since 2017. Yeah, and that's probably just the stuff with his name on, because I believe he's a ghostwriter as well, right? Yeah, oh yeah, he's... So, dude shits out the words. Uh, I'm, I'm really stoked to talk to him. Someone that can make me feel inadequate. I always like that. Yeah, no, for, <laughs> for sure. Everybody's got their own... He, he would make anyone feel inadequate, but... Yeah, so. I think so. 
but everybody kind of has their own pace. But he's uh, he's a uh, like a writing. He turns out he turns out amazing stuff. I'm actually looking forward to talking about the co-writing process too. That uh, yeah, together like expanding on it a little bit, especially after um, we talked to Kelly about her co-writing process with Matthew because ours yeah. was ours is kind of funny. Uh, I don't know. It's <laughs> just like I'll be the judge of that. I'll see if it's worth laughing at or not. It's it's a little funny, but we'll we'll let other people decide about that. Yeah. So uh yeah, so I guess we should uh give James a call. Yeah, let's bring him on. Welcome James Reed to Book and a Pint. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad to well, have you. Yeah. So how are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. My night's going pretty well, actually. Uh, I've been excited to talk about writing all day, so it beats the day job. So I'm stoked for that. Awesome. So uh, yeah. what is the day job? Oh, I count shit in a warehouse. That's oh, that's, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, some days it's more exciting than it should be, and those are the days where I debate selling my house and buying a van. <laughs> all right. Nice. Go ahead, Michael. No, from I was gonna say for me, it's been a little bit of a one of those shitty, hectic days where just yeah. everything compiles on to each other. You know, when when everything's going really well, then you've got that one shitty day where like yeah, it's like the the grand gargantuan of shit all happening in one day. Um, that was kind of my my day and my evening today. So I'm I'm kind of also looking forward to just kicking back and uh talking craft here yeah so what that means james is we're both relying on you to make our days better all right uh, <laughs> let's do it that's what i'm here for i'm in that's why i write you know to like yeah. entertain people so let's do it good one all right so uh i kind of told you before we started recording the way we usually do this is michael and i ask really kind of dumb questions that are not important at all because when most writers do podcasts, they get asked the same questions over and over and over again. Um, so we kind of just want to move away from that a little bit. But today's kind of a special one because you and Michael are co-writers. Yeah. So I thought it'd be fun if I interviewed the two of you. I've come up with what I hope are good questions. If they're not, feel free to tell me and then ask your own question to answer. That's fine, too. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. But I really just want to talk craft. Uh, but first thing we want to do is uh, give you a chance to tell us about yourself, tell us about your books, and uh, definitely pitch Storm Below to our listeners. All right. Well, I am uh, James Reed, but I, I publish under JMD Reed because I was blessed with two middle names. So I have lots of initials. That is so a I thought I would be a fantasy writer. Right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was born James Michael Dean Reed. So I, I decided to use all of those. Um, but uh, I write uh, epic and dark fantasy. Uh, I have, a, on September 15th, I have the complete box set of my first series, The Storm Below, coming out on Amazon. It's going to be uh, $2.99 on release, and that's um, that's a million words for $2.99, so you're getting a good deal there. Uh, five big, thick, door-stopping you know, fantasy novels. Um, so the, the Storm Below series is a sort of military epic fantasy series. It takes place in a world of sort of floating islands over an ever-churning storm. Uh, so the people who live there, they, they rely on, like, 
airships to move around, which are like, you know, um, 17th century sailing ships, but, you know, they fly through the sky because that's cool and all. That is really and, cool. Um, so uh, not only is there, of course, the political tensions between the various nations, such as the autonomy, which is where our story starts, which is a sort of a, a rebellious, you know, provinces from the Varkthian Empire. And so there's like a, the Varkthians kind of want their territory back. And so there's some political tension between them, but there's also the threat of what are called the Storm Riders, which are these sort of like demonic humans that live beneath the storm and they rise up to attack the islands in massive cyclones that sort of just bulge out of the storm and sweep over an, uh, one of the floating islands. They can cause immense destruction. And uh, so our main character, Ari, as a boy, he, uh, he saw one of these cyclones and he thought, you know, and there's a little naval station to protect their island. And he's like, hey, these are all the, like my heroes. He wants to be one of the Marines, right? He idolizes these guys. So he wants to watch the fight instead of going to get cover like a smart person would. But, you know, he's like a nine-year-old kid. So he's yeah. not smart. And he's a fantasy protagonist. He's not allowed to be. Right. right? And uh, it, it goes badly. Um, he gets <laughs> uh, He gets struck by lightning. He wakes up and finds, like, it's all over. His heroes, like, they saved the day, but, like, the ship crashed and everyone died. And it kind of disillusioned him on, you know, like, that's not how stories are supposed to be, you know. They're not supposed to all die, you know. But uh, And then his father got killed looking for him in the storm. His mother very much blames him and has not liked him ever since. And uh, so he, he, he grows up and he just wants to leave. He wants to start his family. He wants to marry his childhood sweetheart. But... Everyone has to join, uh, sign up for the draft every year because, you know, the Navy needs people because, you know, they lose ships against cyclones and they also have the Varkian Empire wanting to conquer them. So they need bodies for their Navy. And uh, the draft doesn't doesn't go how he wants. And he ends up in the military with his his friend and his childhood sweetheart. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where the story is. But remember, he got struck by that lightning. He got he got touched by the storm goddess who's, you know, she's evil. No one likes her. And uh, there are people that kind of know that he has and they want to, you know, they want to eliminate him because they think he's a threat to the world. And maybe he is because he's having weird dreams and, you know, cryptic stuff. You know, the Stormglass is talking to him. This is not good stuff. So he's kind of the first book sign of him doing military training, trying to, you know, hide the secret from those he cares about while Assassin tries to murder him from a distance. And uh, that's just the start of the series. So I'm guessing that's what, like, the first the setup of the first book basically and it kind of picks up from yeah, there. Yeah, the first the first book is the tra- so like the first book's the training uh okay. where they go to camp, they train and the assassins kind of shows up there and is trying to kill them from the shadows. Like he doesn't even know there's someone trying to kill him, right? And uh okay. and uh, so but he does know that, you know, being touched by the storm goddess is not a good thing that um you know, his country, they when they find out someone has been, they quarantine them, they, they imprison them for life and throw them in a cell. So he doesn't want that. He wants to be free. So he, this is a secret he has to guard, you know, from everyone. He can't trust anybody with this. It's like uh, it's like admitting that, like, the devil, like, you know, has a grip on you. Like, and you're in, um, you know, medieval, you're in, like, the Spanish Inquisition. Sure, right? yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is not, this, is not a, this is not something you, you tell people. This is not something you tell someone, like, even like someone who's closest to you, this is not something you ever tell anybody. So, yeah. so I like he's that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's you, dealing with all that stuff. Okay. You know, plus, you know, just being in the basic training in the military and, you know, training to fight and, you know, all the that, stresses and that go along with that. 
that's, that's awesome. the first book. Second book is them going to fight Sky Pirates. Okay. And you've got yeah. this really this really amazing um, bird race, like a race that was based on on uh, bird anatomy. Yeah. yeah. The coolest, uh, and that's actually how the first book starts because um, you don't get introduced to Ari uh, right away. There's kind of a little bit of history, and it starts out right. I'm I'm, I'm right to say that. Um, uh, above the storm starts um and i always forget what the name of the bird race is uh the luastria yeah it, Lu- starts with, it starts a thousand years ago with uh, the dawn empress and the first cyclone that uh destroys the dawn empire and kind of puts the world into the you know fall from grace that it's currently in like it used to be a utopia where everyone was ruled by the dawn empresses and the sort of bird people, but you know they uh, they got taken out by the cyclones and the storm riders, and things kind of fell apart into war and chaos over the next thousand years. Classic, I like it. All right, um, if you guys are ready for it, I'm going to start throwing questions at you, and throw away, Michael. This is still your podcast too, so feel free to throw in anything you want. You'd like James to talk about, all right? Oh yeah, for sure. I'm just I'm I'm here for the ride for this one. All right, uh, so first thing. Um, the last episode we did, we talked to uh, uh, Kelly Blanchard, and she and her husband co-wrote a book together, co-writing a series together. And uh, according to Michael, your writing styles of co-writing are very different from theirs. Yes. So I would like the two of they you are. to kind of just, I want to hear how you guys write a book together. Well, uh, Michael comes up with the ideas, so they're all like his ideas. So um, he conceptualizes oh. the craziness like and comes out with the outline and um and he writes usually the first stuff and sometimes the last chapter then uh he hands it over to me and i have this outline and he's like make something amazing out of it and then i sit in front of my keyboard and i try to live up to that expectations you know just follows outline i i put my own twist on things you know my own ideas uh michael's very kind of trusting of letting me follow my instincts at time but yeah that's that's kind of how it works. And then he does all the editing and polishing and making it like coherent so that our two, what he wrote and what I wrote, okay. mash, mash, together, mash together, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say that that um, first of all, what that it's not some of some of your concepts um, have been some of the best concepts in the books. Like um, James created a character um, that's actually kind of stayed with our first series all the way through because it was just so cool. It's basically like a, an AI. Um, that is really into safety and yes. super <laughs> and super annoying, and uh, it just so happens that this annoying AI uh, always is uh, always interacts with the bad guy. Um, she's and the bad super guy, chipper. She's really chipper, and the bad guy is usually a total asshole. Um, so the uh, di- the the relationship between this chipper AI and uh, the antagonist is uh, it makes for some really really good comedy. Um, and that was something that I absolutely, um, had never conceived in any of my outlines, uh, that became one of the best parts of the story. Um, I would say that when I get the, um, when I get the full manuscript back in sections, um, I do keep, I would say a vast majority of the stuff that James gives me, I'll take out certain things. I'll add pop culture references. I'll add, um, I'll add some jokes, although most of the stuff that James writes is fucking hilarious and has me on the floor. Um, 
but I'll add I'll add some other things and stuff like that. But it's it's more or less like that. Um, okay. I like to think my outlines have gotten a lot better. Um, I'm pretty okay, sure. James. I mean, at one point, his outline just said "fantasy battle here," and that was it. <laughs> I've had and, first drafts say that though, so I guess I can't really <laughs> judge that too much. Um, <laughs> that but, was our first one. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so that's, that's 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 pretty much the way we do it. So it's okay. uh, it's I'm foremost. I mean, I can write the only the the book that um, I wrote the most on. So pretty much all of our books have been like this, where you know I've written a few chapters um, and and an outline, and then I've gone back and I've uh, changed things and fixed things and mm-hmm. added stuff once the chapters were already written. The only uh, the only one that didn't go that way was uh, Max and the Captain. So we have two okay. series. We have the Cider and Ale Chronicles, which is the one uh, that's six books uh, coming out on September 22nd. And then we have another trilogy called Max and the Captain, which is going to come out closer to February. Uh, originally, I didn't realize this the second series was going to be a trilogy. It was based on uh, an ongoing serialized bedtime story that I told my son for about six months uh, every night uh, based on an older version of him uh, with his stuffed panda, who we turned into a 450-pound real talking panda. Um, As you do. It, it takes place in Toronto, so all the... Uh, I changed a few of the names, but everything that happens in that book is like real stuff. And a lot of it is stuff that we've experienced that kind of created the captain whose real name is Jamie as an amalgamation of uh, him or the way I think he's going to be when he grows up and a little bit of me. Um, So there's a lot of that in there. So I ended up writing probably 15 to 18,000 words of that book on my own. And I had originally planned on just writing it that being the book I wrote on my own because it was personal. And I got to a point where I just needed what James brings to the table to get to the point where I wanted to get at the end of the book. And uh, so he only wrote the last section of that book, but it was probably one of the craziest things that we've ever done. It was just total chaotic insanity. Um, And that led to the whole idea of doing two more books, which were basically, um, like all the other ones, like where well, I wrote. I had already written the other two books before you brought me on to finish the first oh, one. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. So, so, <laughs> okay. so I'm, I'm like the oldest one of the three of us. And I think my mind is going, so, so why, so what actually happened? Yeah. You wanted to write the first book all on your own. And then you wanted me to write the second, the second two, which are more. Um, so that's when the books became, went from like the sort of, more grounded story like until it got crazy at the end which is where michael brought me in but then it it morphed into sort of um a sort of lit rpg series for the second two books right so and so michael wanted me to write that okay because it was going to be a lot of fantasy stuff and uh crazy action stuff and stuff so and uh then he was going to write the first one and then um you know it like he said he he needed me to come in for the the kind of the ending part to do the the really crazy stuff where the book went into and um, by then, I'd actually already written the other two books, which he had outlined. Well, that's convenient. Uh, and the and it's actually we did it in a, in a way that was really kind of meta too, because uh, in these books there are script sequences between James and I talking about what's going on. I don't want to give away too much because that's it's an ongoing thing that happens in all our books that mm-hmm. uh, is real fourth wall breaking stuff. 
Um, but we make his coming on to write the book an in-story thing. Okay, uh, that's pretty clever. Yeah. So, so this actually transitions perfectly into a, a question that I wanted to ask you guys. I was planning on asking it later, but I'm going to ask it now. So, uh, Michael, you've already sort of answered it. Um, but do either of you have that book that you really want to write that you just don't feel ready for yet? Or are you the kind of writer who's going to just jump at it and see if you can make it work? So there actually is a book series that I, it was the first thing I really, when I started to get serious about writing and I just, I didn't think I was good enough. So I was like, all right, I'm going to set this aside and write some other stuff does sort of practice to build up for it. And so I conceived of this sort of fun, lighthearted adventure that was, you know, flying ships, fighting air pirates. And um, that turned into a dark and gritty epic fantasy series of... (laughs) <laughs> but that one spiraled out of my curl. So I actually had put aside another series to write that because I didn't feel I was good enough to write this okay. trilogy. And then I went and wrote something that was, I think, far more complicated than my original idea. So to prepare yourself for the first idea, you did something much harder? It wasn't supposed to be harder. It but was it supposed to be day. lighthearted, fun adventure. <laughs> but that's not how my brain works. And okay. it, my brain wouldn't let me do that. So instead, it turned into crazy epic fantasy mainly because I came across something in my world building and it kind of, um, I can't even say because it's a massive spoiler for the series, but I, I realized something when I did my world building that there was a, a secret that I had not realized and that when I, I figured, when I hit upon it, it sort of very much changed the entire series and its direction. Uh, do you have a special approach to your world building? Something that you like to do before you either start a series or as you're going? Well, after I kind of had the idea of what the series is going to be, right, um, then I like to start with the map. So, um, like, I'll have an idea of, like, the characters and the races and kind of the general idea of it, you know. Like I said, I wanted to do, like, a world of floating islands over the storm. So I knew I was going to need a world of, you know, floating islands. But, like, I didn't really know what, like, the countries were. The geo- I had to draw it out on a map so then I could figure out the geopolitical stuff and the, okay. and so and how things relate and I find that helps you know give like a it grounds the world so there's something concrete and real and then it it helps to constrain my story because I have to live within the reality of this map I created and so constraints always forces you to imagine solutions to problems yeah you have to live within the reality of that world mm-hmm. right yeah and I mean I'll tweak the map a little bit once I get into writing, because maybe I do need to move something around or something, but okay. generally. So you go as far as doing a map. Is this like before you start writing? Yeah. Uh, well, well before. I won't start writing until I have. Okay, so the world uh, has to exist in your head before you're like typing it out, that sort of thing? Yeah, well, how will I be able to reference the world if I don't know what the world is? No, I 100% agree. I'm just... Like, yeah, but, no. But like, are you, do you go as deep as like, hey, I know this country exports this uh this good uh or... i did that in my first series and then i found that i don't use most of that okay. so i i kind of cut back but what i will do is like when i need to describe maybe where some exotic item comes from i will um i will look at my world and go like where could that come from and like i could come from here and then i'll just add it to the notes you know okay. if if my characters ever do wander over that way I'll, it'll be in my notes but uh, that's kind of how i did like um you know, so like I tend to be very shallow in my world building on places that aren't important, whereas I'll get more detailed on where the characters will be. 
So you do more of a like a broad world building, not so much a deep world building. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I'll have all the countries and important places. Okay. And then, uh, and I'll have an idea of kind of what their cultures are, you know. And uh, so like it's so there's something there. It's not like it's nothing, but it's very broad strokes as okay. opposed to anything in detail. And I'm guessing by the time you get to like book four or five, you've had to add a bunch of notes so you don't forget. Yeah, that's always that's my um that's my shadow of the dragon series I'm writing right now, which is crossing the which is globe trotting across the world. So okay. I'm always going to new countries. So that is that the there. same setting as Storm Below, just different part of the world? No, this is this is on my whole third. new okay, okay. So it's on my whole third. new setting every time. Okay. My fourth major fantasy setting. Damn, that's impressive. Um okay. Oh and Michael, do you ever consider your world building beyond uh, seals that drink beer? Um, a little bit. I, I think that, uh, for me, the, uh, the thing that I always, that I've wanted to bring into this, because technically, even though, um, Cider and Ale and Max and the Captain exist technically in two different worlds, they also sort of exist in the same world because, um, it's the story world. Um, and that's all I'm going to say because, uh, all this, uh, meta fourth wall breaking stuff happens in these books mm-hmm. and there are easter eggs between series um, and there will be a recommended reading order uh, for all of this stuff um, once it comes out for people that are only coming to the to both series once they're both out I mean you can totally read um, Cider and Ale in the, the order that it's out in we've put it in a good order but there will be a recommended reading list that will include Max the Captain uh, once that comes out as well. Um, and they are different. Like I said, one is more of an of an, an adult series with a lot of bad language. Uh, the other uh, has no bad language, but the fact that there's no bad language is also talked about in story. Um, so my world building is kind of like that whole metatextual thing Um like the story world that ties everything together, uh, whereas everything else is kind of based on um, whatever I come up with. Uh, I, I would say that James probably does a lot of the uh, real fantasy world building from my outlines, you know, and, okay. and, and he really expands the concepts. So I will have the characters fleshed out and I'll know the basic plot points and where I want to go and the key relationships and who's going to die, who's going to make it, that kind of thing. But he'll take that, that whole thing and, um, and flesh it out into something a lot more expansive. Uh, yeah. I just, I don't know. I just, I like to draw references yeah. and stuff and do some, so although, I'll, to another. although there's no like map or anything. I like to have, I like the fact that there's no map because the world is kind of, in flux a little more so. amorphous yeah so okay. i like to think of it because the michael and james that are in the books are kind of bad writers so <laughs> i like to just think that the fact that the world building might be inconsistent at times is just that they're bad writers yeah that's and a we've planned got, thing on your parts okay and we've got this um we've got this character called mary sue who um is really just a mary sue um so anyone that is listening to this that um, needs to know about the literary term or doesn't know about the literary term, Mary Sue is just basically a, a character that is almost too good and can uh, is sort of perfect and can can fix and eke their way out of any situation. Um, and um, she just so happens to be a character that has been written by us to fix our problems. 
Yeah, um, they're also usually self-insert characters, so that's uh, a pretty good extra level of meta there. Right. Well, Mary Sue works at a bar called the Deuce Ex Machina, just to give you an idea of, of <sighs> where, where we go with this stuff. I want you to know, I just rolled my eyes as hard as physically possible, and I mean that as a sincere compliment. Oh, well, you should have seen what I, that, that was me when I read the outline. I was like, Michael kind of told me about this idea. I was like, all right, sure, I'll, I'll help you write it. And he sent me the outline. And I was like, what did I just agree to? Oh, oh my God, this is, and this, this is insanity. Just, this was just, this was just for Alehouse Wars, but it ended up being. Just very um, tame compared to the later stuff. Yeah. yeah. And we did, oh, I, I could talk about what happens, um, between uh alehouse wars and the last one that we just finished up uh the whiskey eternal which may actually be my favorite of the six books um it's cliche to say that the newest thing that you've done is your favorite but i think it's um i think it's it might be the most profound it's uh, certainly the most emotional yeah like and it, it affected me emotionally writing it and it actually says something i actually um I had been told by a blogger that uh, I'm a big fan of uh, James Joyce's Ulysses. Um, well, all of his stuff, but I really, really, I've, I've read Ulysses multiple times. It's one of my favorite books. I like the, uh, the way he does abstract and the way he throws terms and things into stuff. And it's not, he doesn't write in a linear way. Like sometimes he will, but then he'll go into total stream of consciousness and you'll kind of have to pick apart what he's saying uh, and but when you do, there's some really brilliant stuff and some really funny stuff in there that was way ahead of its time. Um, so one of the things that I, that I did in um, this book is that Sandy Sam, who's a side character from uh, the Cider of Legend, uh, is writing a book because he thinks he can write his own book to make himself live forever. Um, and he starts writing it like James Joyce writing Finnegan's Wake. So it's total abstract gibberish bullshit. Um, like, because Finnegan's Wake is, I mean, I love his stuff, but I'm not going to apologize for the fact that it's its really complicated and may or may not mean a lot in some ways. Um, and then there's this meta thing with this big booming voice that says, hold on a minute. If you're going to do this, you got to stop pretending to do all this James Joyce shit. James Joyce is the master. He's one of the gods of literature. You're a fucking snake in a hat. And that's where it starts. Is that you addressing yourself with that line? Yeah, more or less. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I messed around with a lot of different like like things in that opening scene, uh, like when the the scene when he starts out, um, and then it starts to get more um, epic questy, uh, like the other books. But then the end uh, has some some really heavy emotional stuff in it because it messes around with the whole idea of um, eternal life and uh, if you had eternal life and you could just keep going through things and dying in different ways and uh stuff how would that affect you later on when you have to face the fact that everybody else doesn't have it um so there's some big questions and it was done in a really uh in a really cool way so i'm excited for people to read that one yeah i'm excited to read it all right so sort of uh kind of continuing off the uh writing together thing james i know you uh work as a ghostwriter as well and you don't have to go into details or anything but i was just kind of curious um if you approach ghostwriting projects differently than you do something that's going to have your own name attached to it. Um, no, I put the same effort into it. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. like, at least for the, like the alehouse where it sounds like you did a lot of the world building as well, minus the map. So the same thing. Yeah. 
it but it was um it was like world building i just did on the fly okay like, uh, i didn't know uh, i just followed the outline and you know just uh made what the story needed um as i went kind of filling in the blanks as you found them yeah you know just like thinking of what it was um it's a little, that is different than how i write but uh my own stuff but um you know like i also i also kept thinking i was never going to write another one of these again so the idea of keeping good notes wasn't something i was very concerned with because i thought this okay. would be one and done yeah but then there's always another idea <laughs> another idea so i kind of wish maybe i had taken some better notes in the beginning but okay in any way do you think it was liberating in any sense to just kind of be able to throw whatever you wanted at the page and it was very not worry all, about the, it? all the dumb questions that popped into my head that i normally just ignore i was able to write them especially with sandy sam sandy sam is the character that asks all the dumb questions so like i because i always wondered dumb things about why english words are the way they are and so i just had sandy sam ask those dumb questions okay and, you know because there's a lot of dumb stuff in english that doesn't make sense that was like that character was really really funny and um there's a lot of he's in three books he's insider of legend cider for harborland and then he makes a star turn uh sort of leading the show in the last book whiskey eternal because i had a few people um actually were, that had read the books that had read all of them say it would be awesome to see a sandy sam um like there were like two or three i think three people actually said if you're going to do another another book you should make Sandy Sam a bigger character and expand him. So yeah, th and that was all based on uh, him basically goofing on things like there, there, and there, um, and why words are spelled differently and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of like English language critique that goes on um, that makes for some of the funniest stuff. Yeah, English is yeah. weird. And why tumbleweeds were called weeds or tumble. So I used to live in the Southwest, and I can tell you, tumbleweeds don't really tumble. They just kind of drag along the ground. Yeah, they bounce a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and then if they if the stem catches on something, then it tumbles for a moment. But mostly they just drag. Yeah. And they're really huge. So I was like, why are they called weeds? But I actually looked it up. They're, they're from Siberia, and they're an invasive species that has invaded North America. <laughs> That's <laughs> that why they're called sense. weeds. All right, yeah. yeah. That's fair. So weeds, like, We think of them sure. as the American Southwest, but they are actually from Siberia. Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff that's American that isn't from America. True. Like me, for example. So You're originally yeah. from South Africa, right? I, I am, but also I'm European, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, I wanted to actually ask a question. Um, yeah. Well, I heard you say something in, in, in your podcast when you were interviewing um, Dave Welch, and I wanted to come back to that later. Um, something to do with volcanoes. Um, oh, sure. Uh, but first, um, I wanted to just ask you about this massive uh, series you're working on now, Shadow of the Dragon, um, which is going to be 12 books, if I'm correct. Hopefully. I'm plotting, I plotted out book nine today, and I'm going to start writing that tomorrow. Um, so On hopefully. average, how long is each one of those books? They've been between 90 to 110,000 worms. Okay, okay. I was really worried they were like 600,000 word books. Uh, after writing this, really, really bad for myself. After writing the final book of the Storm Below, which was 350,000 words, okay. I have not had the stamina to write a book that long since. I've written, so, um, I've written a lot of books since then. They all kind of be around 90 to 100,000 words. 
that's the range I like. The longest I've written is 120. And after that one, like that was a marathon for me. 90 is like perfect, in my opinion. It, it, 350,000 words. It was, I mean, when I when I got to like, okay, I can finally plot out the finale, right? Yeah. It was so complicated that when I stared at my outline, I was like, this is going to be like 70 to 90,000 words to write all on its own. Because yeah, it's just, just that much. Because it is, I mean, it's epic, epic, epic fantasy. We're talking like, you know, yeah, how, so much. How, is how many on. POVs do you have just in that one series? Uh, I kept it limited as much as I could, but I, let's see. Uh, by the time we got to that last book, we had eight or nine. And this is like main POVs? Yeah. Like each have their own full story arc? Yeah. I wish I had more time to read, man. I'm really like, I'm almost finished. Finally, I'm almost finished Reavers of the Tempest. And I'm just looking so far. And I've flipped through some of the other books. Just, I don't know why, just to see, um, some of the other ideas and, and characters and POVs that you put in. And I noticed that there's so much more, like even from just skimming through it, there's like so much more going on in the later books. And I'm just really, really stoked to get there. And, and that killed off major POV characters before we even got to that final book. Well done. I'm proud of you. But I also was adding to them. So it's not like the first book has, oh, but no. the first book has four major POVs. Okay. And well, three major POVs and the villain POV. I assume the assassin was a POV when you. Yeah, so he's, but he's not really a major, you know. Okay. Because like he does his stuff, but he's not. He's not. um, I mean, he doesn't have an arc, right? He's. All right, that's fair. He's just. um, He's just fanatic assassin man. Like I like him. He's a bird, but. um, Okay. But like he's just all about the mission, and there's no, there's no doubt, there's no reflection. There's, I was told by you know bird pope that he's evil so going to go and you know take care of him just that that i'm doing it i'm doing it for my goddess you know so it's all like so he's a fanatic he's a true believer there's no doubt no question he's got a mission he's going to do it so there's no arc for him i have other antagonist characters that do have arcs okay um that they're more developed characters like uh i will say giving a fanatic single-minded zealot an, an arc can be fun I've had a little bit right. of success with it that. Can but, be. Yeah. But I get but what you're saying. Just, yeah, that he, wasn't his character. He was I didn't the major need him. one. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't need him to have an arc. Yeah, no, I get it. A villain doesn't nece- a villain doesn't necessarily need an arc. No. You're, I think you're, they need to they need to feel like they do. You, you can trick people into thinking they do, but you're right. I don't think they need one. So after, like my, um, my ultimate villain, like my ultimate big bad has an arc. Yeah. So, so go ahead, Michael. I wanted to get back to um so after um Storm Below, you wrote um, the um, Jewels of Illumination, Mask of Illumination, Assassin of Illumination, uh, and that's 13 books that are all tied into the same world. Um, And those are kind of um, more of, um, I want to say, somewhat more grounded fantasy or somewhat lower fantasy than what you did in um, Storm Below. Yeah, Um, it's definitely low magic fantasy. Right. Where it's where the magic is like technology that anybody can use. There's no like there's no like wizard. Well, there are, but they're just they know how to use the technology in different ways that are more esoteric. But they're still it's all still based off the same principles. So what did you have in mind? So to me, I I feel like because I've read the first um, Shadow of the Dragon book, um, to me, that feels like it could be the the biggest. um, I don't know at least the most expansive and most colorful epic fantasy 
world that you've ever created. Like, what did you have in mind after doing uh, 13 books of kind of more technology-based lower fantasy when you went into um, that next series, that Shadow of the Dragon series? Uh, I definitely wanted more epic fantasy, more more magic, more, um, you know, like actual, like, wizardy stuff, magic and sorcerers and divine priests that pray to gods and uh, definitely a, um, a high magic world. And I wanted that sort of, and I also wanted it to be a, a quest, so where the characters travel just everywhere, right, on their purpose. So I wanted a very expansive world. And because of that, I wanted a world that had a lot of interesting places to visit. So I incorporated, like, um, magical catastrophes that have, like, permanently altered parts of the land into being just crazy stuff that, you know, could never exist in the real world. And uh, so, yeah, I, I wanted to do the exact opposite of what the jewel, the... Uh, the sort of uh, the Illumination Cycle books are. So this leads me into another question I really want to ask. Um, for me, I, I'm always kind of considering like how I'm going to level up with each project. Like I, I feel like if I'm not improving with every new work, I'm kind of just stagnant. I know that that's not necessarily probably the case for everybody, but uh, do you try to do that with every new project? Do you try to like find an area you want to either do better at or do more of? I mean, I always want to produce better writing. So mainly it's it's trying to get rid of some of my poor writing habits okay. uh, that are just not great that, you know, they could improve. So that been slowly getting rid of some of that. That's morally what I focus on. Um, okay. So it's never been like, you know, I kind of feel like I need, uh, maybe you did though, because you said you were, you didn't want to write another 300,000 word novel. So you sure. drop them down to 100,000. Like, so for me, the first book that I actually released, I realized I kind of sucked at pacing. And so I started studying like thrillers and stuff. And I, I tried to write a fantasy book, with, like thriller pacing. Yeah, I got what you're saying. So you've ever had anything like that? Like, it sounds like for this one, maybe not, it's not necessarily a level up. You're like, I want to do a bigger world, a more fantastical world. Do you think of stuff like that before every project? Like, what is it yeah. I want to maybe get better yeah. at or do bigger, I'll say? I wrote an urban fantasy novel, and my goal was to be the action-paced novel, right? Okay. Every every chapter, short chapters, every chapter ends on, like, a cliffhanger, right? You know, and it's a very focused story. It takes place over a very short period of time, like a day. Wow. Uh, for the most part, like, there's some build-up, but, like, once the... Sure. Once, um... So, like, we have the setup where we kind of introduce the characters, but once we get to, um... Oh, I'm blanking on the term, but uh, the event that starts the story, which there's a specific term for it, but I'm... I know exactly what you're talking about. I, my mind's gone <laughs> blank, just... too. <laughs> oh, it's your... Uh, your um, it's your inciting incident. Yes, thank you. God, that would have been really embarrassing. Right, yeah. So, like, so there was some... So there was, like, I spent some time, like, setting up the characters, or the character, the main character, because mm -hmm. it's urban fantasy, so it's all, it's all his POV you know, in first person. Um, so it's like I wanted to set up him, who he was. He was a sort of suicidal uh, Afghanistan combat vet. And uh, he's about to, like, enter the world of, like, Norse mythology as um, an Einherjar, which uh, he got killed in Afghanistan, which is why he's okay. an Einherjar. <laughs> and he got, yes. he got, he got, he got, he got, he got chosen, yeah, he got chosen by Valkyrie. And uh, he was, like, the only guy of his unit that survived, only because she, she chose him. So he's sure. got, like, survivor's guilds and PTSD and and uh, so yeah so it was so it's kind of one I had to set up his mind his mindset and there's a little bit of like 
you know, mystery in the beginning. But then we can we get to the inciting incident, and it's all, I think, six hours, six seven hours. It the story spans after okay. that. Is that one that you've released? No, it's sitting on my hard drive. Oh man, so say that's I wrote it fucking years awesome, ago. and I want to. I wrote read it. it years ago. Uh, it's it's okay. part of a seven book series, but it was like when I was still just starting out. So I wrote like the Above the Storm, and then I wrote that book, and then I went back to the Storm Below series, and it just. I just never had the time to go back to it. And so, like, the further I get from it, it seems like the less likely it'll ever happen now. Yeah, I, I unfortunately how that goes. I, I do want to say that sounds awesome, and I would definitely read that. But yeah. I understand that having too many projects. I've got a file that's, like, I think at last I counted, it was, like, 50 or 60 story ideas. It's like, I'm never going to touch yeah. half of these. Yeah. So. And also, oh, I wanted right. to be established yeah. before I changed fantasy genres. Like, urban fantasy is not epic fantasy. So that was the other issue. Well, that would be the smart thing to do. Yeah. I release a book in every genre for every new book. So oh. that's probably part of my problem. <laughs> Very unfocused. But All right. Well, uh, I wanted to ask a ahead. question, actually. Sorry to uh, jump yeah. in. It was something that um, that I, I asked this in a lot of my interviews, and in a lot of my written interviews, and it's something that I find... Uh, really fascinating, mainly because it's something that I always employ when I'm coming up with characters and concepts. Um, and that is the idea of um, the autobiographical character studies um, when creating characters or the use of um, people in your own personal life as side characters. Um, how much of yourself do you think goes into uh, the characters in your stories? Uh, and do you pull from people in your personal life when coming up with characters? Because there's a lot of uh, real, I want to say very real emotional stuff, especially in um, uh, the above the, in the Storm Below series. Um, and even in, in some of the stuff you've done with, uh, again, not to give away, but there's some real heavy emotional stuff in uh, the Cider and Ale series that just feels so real to me. Like it's got to be coming from somewhere inside of you to create pathos like that? Uh, I would say the Storm Below series has the most of me in it, definitely. There's definitely stuff that's from that book that is definitely drawn from uh, my real life and some of my uh, like, own emotional pain, uh, definitely. I would, And I would say like Ari, uh, there's probably a lot of me in Ari, um, not wholly. He might be more of an idealized version of myself in some ways um but yeah that's uh there's definitely yeah there's definitely a lot of the uh the emotional stuff definitely in that book uh especially with his character came from my own personal experience but um after that it's more just uh drawing on what i've read and what i've seen and uh, for other stuff and kind of projecting and imagining and thinking about uh concepts that kind of informs my other characters and i also discover my characters more writing them than i do creating them so they're very basic in the creation. Like I have a, like their sketch. And then as I write them, I discover who they are. And I kind of unpeel them back. And um, so like I'll have like an archetype for them, but their nuances I'll discover while writing. Yeah, I like that. That's that's my favorite way of doing it as well. Uh, I know some writers like hold auditions for the characters. Like they'll have characters in mind and then decide where they go. But I'll usually just add a person into place and then figure out who they are as I write. I think that's feels more organic, which kind of can make them feel more real. Yeah. 
especially because I write very limited um, third-person POV. So when I'm, okay. especially when they're a POV character, I, you know, I try to think like how they think. Um, how uh, how close is the POV? Like, are you in their head or <laughs> in their head? Okay. It's all subjective to what they see right. and experience. So um, you know. It, on the one hand, it, it can be very limiting on some information. It's very hard to get some information across. Um, but other times, it's you know, it's. But other times, it's you know, it's like what they see. So I can I can hide things. Yeah. You know, and uh, I can have them draw like the wrong conclusions sometimes, to um, draw the reader away from what I'm trying to what is actually going on. Yeah. Because um, that character wouldn't notice it at that time, right? Or they'll misinterpret it or yeah yeah that's also a great way to kind of tell the reader who the character is as well is by like what they notice in any given scene like yeah. i love to show the same thing from multiple povs and how every character can see it differently or describe it differently i, I actually have um so i have like my he mentioned my my illumination cycle so i have two series mm-hmm. one is the jewels of illumination one is the mask of illumination and they run concurrently to each other Basically, um, okay. Mass starts a little later than Jules. His Jules takes place over about a year, whereas Mass takes place over about six months. So okay. Mass starts a little later. But both their third books, the characters are in the same place and they they interact. And they're they're past lovers who had a very messy relationship, but it ended very badly. And so they both see the other in different ways. So like the so um, Oban, my male character, he's the wrong party in it. Sort of. So he's the okay. one that sees her in a very, in a very bad light. And when he meets her, and, and if you read the books in the order that they're published, you'd see his, you'd see his, like how he sees her, and it would really color your perception. Like everyone hates her when they've read <laughs> um, Souls of Illumination, and then everyone loves her when they read her books. Yeah. But like uh, my, like so I wrote the scene, and this is the exact same scene with the exact same dialogue. All that's different is, is that the POV and like the emotions are different and like, yeah, you know, he's completely misunder. He completely has the wrong idea, like why she's there and um, all this sort of stuff. And yeah. like my editor, like she, she hated this character, but then she gets to like the third book of her series and she puts his notes like, man, Oban's like kind of a dick in this scene. But she didn't <laughs> think that when she read it from Oban's yeah. POV, like it made sense. Like he was angry, you know, at this, at this, you know, woman that like had scorned him and, She's like here, and he's like never. Th- and so, uh, it's really interesting. That, but then you see it from hers, and she's like, she's like moved beyond. She's like not that person anymore. She's trying to be better. So like you're yeah. seeing her, and she's meeting someone from her past who's not letting her be that better person because yeah. they don't know it, and they're kind of lost in their own anger about I it. I love that. That's one of my favorite things. The my first book, the villain, like the main antagonist, I gave him his own spinoff series. Where he's like one of the primary POV characters. I remember one of my beta readers finished it and basically just sent me an angry text because they did not want to like this guy. Yeah. But I put them in his head and now it's like, no, we like him. Why would you do that, you asshole? So I, I love that dynamic when you change the POV and how you can manip- sort of manipulate the reader into either loving or hating a character just based on who's looking at them. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just finished the eighth book. I had Voni kind of hear a side about her father that she had never heard about before because um, she only knew the abusive sadist yeah. that was her father and uh, not sort of the, the young idealist he once was. So sure. it was 
it didn't really change her opinion because she had spent a horrible lifetime at the end so it wasn't going to change her but it was still like she like almost was like disgusted that someone would have like a positive opinion of her father yeah no that's that's a fun one to play with yeah i love that all right so uh moving on maybe away from writing i'm gonna ask you i'll ask both of you this it's a question i try to ask all our guests and don't worry it's not the pizza one michael no i was um, after what? this, I was going to actually ask. Oh, you're going to ask that? Okay. Or I was going to ask a variant of the pizza one, but you go first. Okay. No, that's perfect. Um, So I, I don't like the term guilty pleasure because I don't think you should ever feel bad for liking something. But is there something that you like unabashedly love that other people kind of judge you harshly for? I don't know if they judge me harshly for, but I am a big fan of trashy Japanese light novels. Oh, which are okay which are very some of them are very um very trashy oh i know there are some good there's some there's some brilliant gems hidden in them okay when i find them like i mean i read i read one series that like on the surface this shouldn't be one of the most emotional things i've read this year but um when it got, so it's like this weird series where it was like mixing quantum physics and observe and how it can like reality you know like observe observation can change reality and sort of exploring okay. various sort of like uh um these quantum you know mechanics functions as affecting like real people okay. and this guy who's trying to like help people like in his high school like uh like there's the girl he has a crush on that she's like um she's like an up and coming actress sure. and um Japan's weird, but like, uh, you know, you still like have to go to like public school <laughs> when you're an yeah. actress and stuff like that. So, but um, her thing is like, she's, she's slowly like, people are slowly not noticing her. And so at first she's yeah. kind of like, thinks this is great, but is like, this slowly more and more. doesn't dream of Bunny Senpai? Yeah. Okay. Dude, I, haven't the la- I know this but, anime, I haven't seen it. But I, when <laughs> I got to the, the latest novel, which dealt with his little sister and what her deal is, it was one of the saddest things I've ever read. Oh shit! Okay. Because there is there's more going on with the sister, and it 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 was dealing with sort of um like grieving over death and stuff, and it, but I could not believe how just emotionally impactful it was, um because of what what it's about, and because uh, um, it's it's like uh this, so this is little spoilers for ah, people find spoilers. So the little sister, so you know her, she's a shut-in, right? And she's very, she's weirdly attached to her big brother, right? Okay, that sounds like a Japanese story, yeah. But here's the thing. So you know she had the bullying problem. So I, I haven't seen or read anything. I just know okay. it exists. So she she had this, she was massively boil, bullied in okay. junior high. She's now a complete shut-in. She can't, she's terrified to leave the house, right? Okay. So that's, that's her character. But what actually happened was, is that she was so bullied, she disassociated and had forgotten her past life. And so the the character we know is not the original one. It's the new one that's lived for the last two years. Oh. And like the fear is if she, so he's come to love her as his little sister while grieving the little sister he lost. But here's the thing, as she starts to regain her old memories, she's going to, the new one is going to go away. And the old I, one will come oh, back. Oh so no. So he's going to, to get back his original little sister he has to lose the new one. one that he spent two years forming this relationship Shit. with, taking care of it. It's <laughs> no, you're right. I was not expecting emotions like that from the little bit I've seen of that show. 
it, it, it the show like is like it's on the surface it's like some like high school fan service yeah yeah and it's not even the okay. other stuff it deals with are like the third book deals with like the smart friend who she um she has such low self-esteem she's starting to post like pictures of herself on on twitter right because she she even though she's this really bright intelligent girl she has such low self-esteem that she's just trying to get attention in this horribly self-destructive way, mm. which then causes her to become two different people, one who is posting the pictures and one who doesn't want to stop. And the one who wants it to stop thinks that she's the one that no one wants, that she's the one that's going to have to disappear for, like, her life to go back to normal. And the, you know, so neither one of them wants to disappear because they're both, like, two different people. Uh, and it's, like, messed up. And it's, like, it's it gets into this thing of, like, why do girls, like, fall into this trap of, like, getting into like the mm-hmm. you know posting the sort of suggested pictures on social media yes. and as it gets further and like you know the sort of self-destructiveness of it yeah it's a really um i'll 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 admit i don't know like honestly i don't really know what the fuck you guys are talking about <laughs> but it sounds really cool like it's a, it yeah, sounds I'm, these are all I'm adding that to my list I'm yeah a, like all of them like all of the stories are like on the surface they're they're dumb anime fanservice, but there's actually like real emotion, heart, and like real like pain and suffering, and you know like people dealing with real emotional heavy stuff. It sounds really. Um, yeah, and there's one more book which is going to kind of deal with his issue. Uh, it okay. looks like. Um, so yeah, because it, it's he's got his own thing with his own weird stuff that happened, and that I touched on, but it looks like it's finally going to deal with with that for the final book. Okay, so it's almost finished then. That's good to know. I think so. I ha- I can't imagine the series would go any farther, because like it's like the, he's basically like there's 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 no characters that are having any. I don't know. There's I don't see any other characters they would they would add into it. That's like fair. And, and it's like I said, it, they dealt with the little sister, and now it now it's his turn because he has his own weird thing that happened to him two years mm-hmm. ago at the same time. And so, and there's the girl that like he met that doesn't seem to exist. Only then he met like a younger version of her in the story when she's older than him. And so it's that then the older version has now reappeared in the story. So I don't know what's going on with it. Oh, all right, I'll add that to my list though. All yeah, right. sounds really cool. Um, what's what's your guilty pleasure, Michael? Um, but, but don't use that term because I think it's a dumb. Ah, uh, my guilty pleasure. I don't know. I um, I've. I don't know. I would say Taylor Swift's music. Oh, okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, I'm not a huge fan. Like, I think I might have even liked her early stuff better, uh, earlier stuff um, before she uh, went all pop and and R&B influenced and stuff. But I remember like, I being in the music, being a songwriter, first and foremost, that's, that was my thing. Uh, And being able to appreciate good songwriting and hooks and pop songwriting. Um, I was always a really big, um, I don't know, was an apologist uh, or just somebody that would say, you know what, like, say what you want about her. I know she's really popular. I know who she, her music is geared towards, but like good pop songs are good pop songs and this girl can write. So Michael's answer kind of takes us back to what we were talking about, about uh, different POVs. I can now tell everything that i need to about michael and james i know all the differences okay so thank you thank you for that demonstration michael (laughs) (laughs) all right you said you had a question mike i do um so this is probably going to be um i'm going to ask you afterwards to uh tell everybody where they can find you online and stuff like that but um 
So I know you don't like fruit on pizza. You're not a fan of the pineapple on the pizza. What? <sighs> no, no. No, okay. But you know what's worse than pineapple? It's anchovies. Right. No, I know. I Fish on pizza. I like it. You know what? I dig it. That stuff stinks. I used to deliver pizzas, and it always sucked when I had to deliver an anchovy pizza. Right. It smells very strong, and I'll be honest, mm. the flavor is just like, eh, yeah, that was a pizza. So I'll, I'll accept that. So my question is, though, um, if you were to be able to eat a fruitless pizza with any celebrity, let's let's go writing, let's go influences, any any writing world celebrity, living or dead, who would you want that to be and why? Well, with the caveat that you should never meet your heroes. <laughs> so I don't know. Let's see. Um, our Scott Backer. I would like to sit down with R. Scott Backer and ask him questions about the second apocalypse meta series and try to understand some of the more esoteric parts of it. And because uh, he is, his writing is wrinkles my brain. And uh, I think it's the only fantasy that's ever really made me think about things like in a real, like deep philosophical way. Um, well, he's a big influence on your writing as well. Is he not? On creating characters that are more complicated uh, than, because he writes very, he writes very complicated characters. Um, some of the most complicated characters I've ever read in fiction are are from his uh, his books, and uh, he also, I think he's also written like the only kind of like sort of the Ubermensch sort of like ideal. That's like where the guy is like superhumanly intelligent, and like I read the books and I believe he's superhumanly intelligent, and um, he should be like the he he. And it's very interesting because he took the hero trope, like so he is so this character whose name is um, Kellis, he is the literal like most cliched protagonist fantasy hero. He's literally the the lost scion of an ancient kingdom, like the last you know descendant of a line of kings that are supposed to be dead. You know, he grew up in isolation, doesn't really know anything about the world. You know, he's got, um, he's blessed with like, um, like magic that he doesn't even know he has. And um, he should be like a typical fantasy character. And he's not. And um, he's like one of the scariest characters in that book. And he's like the guy trying to save the world where, or, you know, that's a debate, to be honest. Maybe he's not trying to save the world. It's really hard to say with him. But he's uh, he should be. And like the main character of the series is actually the wizard mentor that's supposed to be a wise wizard. But he's really like um, he's really like a, a, a weary old man that's uh, that's fat. That's he's got vices. He's not a very strong character. And he's the actual protagonist of the series. But uh, so it's very interesting. Um, yeah. And on top of that, the philosophy that he's woven into it, because he's actually a professor of philosophy. So he's really got, like, his world building is built on, like, some very foundational and sound philosophy on, like, how his magic system works and how the, the, the you know, the afterlife works. And it, it's some very, like, heavy concepts that he writes. Yeah, I've always wanted to read Backer. You know what pisses me off, though, uh, is that Backer is Canadian and I can't get his fucking ebook in Canada. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Like, uh... Yeah, he doesn't have the same publisher in the States as he does in Canada. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's up with his publisher in Canada for not putting out ebooks. 
yeah, it's it's very strange. I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll take the plunge and buy them in paperback or something like that. But go to the library, man. I've always yeah no. Something I love about Canada. Canada is authors actually get paid if you take rent out library books. So really, yeah, it's, it's a it's tiny so amount, but they do get like a little bit of back ends from uh, library rentals. Yeah, it's so hard to find like like more obscure stuff in libraries here. Like I agree with you. I think that's a great idea. But like when I look um, at the fantasy section, I'll get it at but most of our libraries. It'll be like. You know, maybe like one Robin Hobb book. Um, Can't you make requests with librarians? Yeah, maybe you can. I don't know. I, I too much work for me. I'll figure uh, it. Out. Okay. I, have so, I have so much shit to do and so much shit to read. Yeah, that I don't That's have time. Fair. But yeah. weirdly, I, I have a Canadian edition of one of his books because it came out in Canada like six months before the states. Uh, so I was like, I'm not waiting. I'll I'll, I'll order the book from Canada through Amazon. That is definitely said by someone that reads light novels. Again, you're just proving the POV thing, man. I'm really impressed. Yeah, no, the light novels. Well, they all come out as like ebooks. Yeah, I know, I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. There's like that. But no, I thought like I, mean, I read like some of the early light novels when they were first getting like the Boogie Pop and Phantom stuff, which is some weird light novels that still don't quite understand them. Yeah, that's fair. There's, and there's some stuff that I think Michael would like. That's like weird stuff. Well, I'm always open to recommendations. Um, looking for new stuff to read. So, um, you know, I feel. Don't know. My instant death ability is so overpowered is hilarious. It's it's like it reminds me of, like your ideas of uh of just sort of the world and its insanity. And, yeah, no, that's cool. I like I need more ideas. Actually, the next idea that I have, I wanted to. I'm gonna I'm gonna just. It's been a, a long talk, and I'm I'm to be. I could do this forever, but to be respectful of everybody's time, um, I would like to make sure that you are able to tell everybody where they can uh, find you and look you up and get your books and stuff like that. But one question um, that James uh, Jenkins that you asked a while back um, that I didn't get a chance to answer was uh, that one book that is kind of that thing that's sitting in your mind that would be kind of that bigger project or that challenge or something that you mm -hmm. would want to do. Um, for me, it would be to do something not funny. Okay. Like that, that doesn't have any, um, like I have um like I have a weird Western uh, idea that stems from it's a it's a weird Western sort of zombie horror story um, that stems from uh, the lyrics of a folk song called Folk Bloodbath. Um, and I kind of thought that would be the next thing that I did after Alehouse Wars, which I had originally thought was just going to be one book that was maybe like 80 pages. Um but then we started doing this and uh, it became a lot of fun. And so uh, to answer that question, just getting back to it, something not funny. It's a challenge, man. But yeah. Also, funny is hard, too. So either way. Well, funny funny in, in books is, is easier for me um, than, than taking myself too seriously. So um, we'll we'll see. But, yeah, no, let, let me know if you if there's anything that you think I'd like. Um, light novel wise because i have no idea what a light novel is other than what <laughs> it's little... a it's just a it's just a term for a, a novel that's short and kind of intended for like a little bit of a younger audience but that's really not the case yeah they're usually really serialized as in like at yeah. least in my experience there's usually a lot of them but they're short they release quickly yeah they're like two hour reads yeah so i'm getting like a scott pilgrim um vibe like it like yeah well scott pilgrim is influenced yeah. off anime 
Oh, for right. sure, yeah. So light novels, very much so light novels are like the things that anime is built upon. Like anime, so like in the states, anime is like this big deal, but in Japan, anime is more um, advertisement for light novels and manga series. Yeah, they they make a TV show to sell more books, basically. Right. Yeah. Whereas, not, the, not the way we do it over here, where we, you write a book to hopefully get a movie. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's like if you're successful, they'll make an anime out of it as a, as your advertisement. Yeah. Um, because they just expect, and so like the animes will never like they'll often never like have the actual ending. In like, so. yeah, you gotta you gotta read the book if you want. Sometimes they'll but straight in Japan, up start like a show. the books are, yeah, the books are like yeah, they, you can just go into K books and and you know find the next volume or whatever. But sometimes they'll like start an anime like in the second story arc, and they'll straight up just address the audience, be like, hey, you confused? You better go buy the manga. Yeah. So yeah. So they're they're very much and they're very weird ideas because uh, the Japanese they the Japanese don't have like. They don't have like they do anything. Like I just I read a series that's like, so I reincarnated as a vending machine and now I wander the dungeon, which is <laughs> an actual title, and it's about a guy I love who the titles. gets killed in Japan by a vending machine and a god reincarnates him in this fantasy world as a vending machine, <laughs> and it's all about the author's creative use of Japan's if like Japan is famous for its crazy vending machines, yeah. and he uses like even the most obscure stuff to like. As the guy like levels himself up through selling products to adventurers. That's awesome. That's so like, I mean, very more creative stuff. stuff. That's yeah. like like dungeon core with vending machines. I like that. There's yeah, a lot like, of dungeon core in light novels oh, yeah. as well, for oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Dungeon core and lit RPG. I feel like the lit RPG genre probably started in Japan. It absolutely did. It's yeah. sort of online that kicked it off. Oh yeah. I actually think I I heard it started in Japan and also in, in, in am I Right to say that it started in Russia as well? To be honest, it it's I would say it technically started in the States. I mean there was in the eighties the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon is what we That's would now fair, call right. the RPG. Yeah, I didn't think of that. It it's like the characters in the real world get sucked into their D D game. Yeah, yeah. That's a cartoon from the eighties. It's just it wasn't very popular here in the West. Yeah, I think it was popularized thanks <laughs> to anime and manga and stuff, yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely read a book in the '90s that was like, like characters were like a VR version of their fantasy world, of their their famous yeah. their favorite. No, it's probably existed as long as games have. You're right. Yeah, it's just, but now it's exploded. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. Well, like Michael, I would love to keep talking about this, um, but I think we are out of time. So, James, uh, just tell our listeners where they can find you, and yeah. just give us your pitch. Um, you can find me on Facebook, uh, James Reed, but also, uh, and my Facebook author page is JMD Reed, but also I have a, a group where I'm actually the most active and that's, uh, Fantastic Worlds of the Imagination, um, which doesn't have my name added in all, which is probably poor marketing on my part. Um, I'm also on Twitter at JMD Reed. Uh, you know, you can find my books on Amazon. I have, um, a lot of books published on Amazon now. You have a lot. Yeah. I, I checked. I have to do math now. That's that's where I'm at. By the way, I'm going to correct you. Your name is on your Facebook group. What's on the... Is it actually in part of the... I don't think it's part of the it, title of the group. It's, it's on, on the, the banner. On the, it's, it's on the on, banner. It's in the banner, and it's in the title. I'm looking at oh, it. Oh, right. okay. Okay, I think I must have Hey, good that. job. You're good at marketing. Yeah. All right, I'm getting better at it. Yay. Yay. You're doing all right. Um, yeah. Okay, and and yeah, so keep and going. I have, I have audiobooks for Storm Below, which is... Uh, 
so you know people can listen to them. They were done, recorded by the great Zachary Johnson. He's an amazing job. Yeah, pretty good. Absolutely phenomenal. I used him to do uh, a couple of chapters um, of mine just because he was offering a service, um, a foot in the door service to try and get some new clients. Um, And he did a chapter of Max and the Captain and a chapter of Wine and Where to Find It. And I was so blown away that I hired him to do three books for me. And uh, apparently he's gotten some business from other people too. Every time you hear this guy, people hear this guy, they, they want to find out more about him. He's phenomenal. Yeah. So yeah, that's me. Um, look out for Storm Below box set comes out September 15th. That's a uh, five fantasy books, 1 million words. And I'm not joking cause I had to put them all into one file. And then I looked at my, my word count at the bottom and blinked. A little bit of poop come out. I was like, it's like I knew it was long, but it, like when you see it there in stark numbers yeah. at the bottom of your word processor, and you're like, oh, that's a Michael lot of and words. I were talking about it before you came on. He said a million words, and I kind of like had to just sit there in silence for a while, and I was like, damn. Um, but for our listeners, this episode will be releasing September 15th. So if you're hearing this, the books are out. Go buy them. Awesome. Thanks for having me. No, thank right. you so much. This was great. really great. great. I'm I'm gonna have to talk to you later about uh, light novels because that is also one of the things I like. So, look up mapping. How, that is an amazing one. It has a really mapping? great moral. Yeah, okay. it has a good. It has a really great moral to it, which is something you don't really find in the Japanese stuff. And um, also on top of that, it deals with some rather surprising heavy subjects and like grief and like it has an entire book that's just dealing with grief. Okay. And yeah, and it's it's while also having all the anime tropes that we love like yeah yeah like the harem stuff where like you have like the girls <laughs> that are just all fighting over him and, and on t- but it's it's still really great stuff yeah, so you fair. guys you guys go do that and i'm gonna go listen to taylor swift's fearless album yeah yeah have fun doing that. Do that all right thanks james all yeah. right james take it easy Bye. that was james reed or jmd reed yeah, I had a lot of fun. I've got a few things to add to my uh, to read list now. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was it's always cool to um, I've listened to to a lot of his interviews. Um, I, I set him up with a lot of interviews, but I've also you know because I'm I'm a big fan of his work. I've uh, listened to a lot of his interviews, and he's uh, always cool to uh, to listen to because he's super passionate about yeah. what he does, and he's super passionate about the. Uh, the worlds he creates and and uh the characters that he creates and and the whole expansive writing world that he's he's um involved in so it's he's he's always really cool he's a great interview yeah no i i found that one uh different pace than what we usually do different tone for sure but this is a this is a special out of the ordinary episode so yeah i know for sure um which is a canadian thing that i just caught myself in yeah no for, for sure, sure. Yeah, 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 no, for um, sure. But uh, hey, Daryl, if you're listening, this one's for you. <laughs> uh, but so just to uh, James already talked about where mm-hmm. uh, people could find him online. Uh, I definitely recommend uh, this box set when it comes out is probably the biggest steal you'll yeah. find anywhere on the Internet. Um, so a million grab, words for three bucks. You definitely million- grab that. For three dollars, and there's nothing you can buy for three bucks these days. 
I don't even think you can buy a pack of gum for three bucks these days. So maybe I don't know. You probably can, but that's like three American bucks. Yeah, dollar. they're worth a little more than the Canadian dollar right now. I think. Here but that's like, just for just for now. Here it's don't like th- like three twenty nine or something like that. Yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. But uh, yeah, and aside from from so definitely check out the storm below uh, one to five box set uh, September fifteenth, and then one week later September twenty second, uh, the cider and ale chronicles box set will be live on Amazon. Uh, JMD Reed and myself co-written, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is a totally different thing, totally different tone than uh, James's stuff that he does on his own but uh i think that people will have a lot of fun with that too so um while we're while we're doing it all all my stuff's out too i don't have anything new coming out but guys please buy my books i don't want to go to work anymore (laughs) yeah we're waiting for that next release with bated breath can't wait working on it all right uh did we have anything else uh no no really just um gonna uh try and create less shit to my already shitty day and yeah, end dude. the day on a positive note. Go go drink a beer, relax a little bit, have all a right. good rest, all right? All right, man, have a good one. All right, you too. Hey, and everybody else, go read a book. Mm-hmm.